Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 7. We finished chapter 6. And uh, sadly, it finished on a little bit of a downer. <laughs> you know, but that's where they put the chapter division. Um, and as we continue on into chapter 7, uh, it's been about six months from the last event. So the last verse in John chapter 6 to the first verse in John chapter 7, there is a six-month period of time in between. All right? And uh, we know this because of what uh, John chapter 7 verse 2 says, when it says, now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. So we know time has passed. So John is giving us these things as little markers. All right? So we know when this is all happening. Uh, remember again, most of his disciples deserted him at the end of chapter 6. Remember he turned to his disciples and said, you want to go too? And the 12 said, no, we don't know where to go. <laughs> no, they said, we want to hang with you a little bit more. All right. And, uh, but also something else is happening. The opposition to, toward Jesus is increasing. John's gospel really shows or highlights what actually happened, why Jesus was crucified. And because so many people were asking why, if he was so good, why was he crucified? And he needed to answer that question. You know, it's really interesting that it was religion that crucified him. That's why we don't like religion. That's why when people <laughs> have that little thing, they say, oh no, what happened to Joe? Oh, he got religious. <laughs> you know, and it was meant to be one of those things that, oh, he found God. No, he didn't find God. He just got religious. There's a difference between finding God and getting religious. And we're going to find that, you know, religion doesn't like God that much. It verbally honors God, but there's no heart in it. It loves the rituals, but it doesn't like the person. I'll get to that in a minute. All right. <laughs> so, things have got worse, okay? Six months. Uh, so let's begin in John chapter 7, verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. Now, I need you to understand. Who cares if he walked in Galilee? Okay, <laughs> all right? I need you to understand what this means, all right? So what the verb walked indicates is the itinerant ministry of a rabbi moving among the people with his disciples. And Galilee, by the way, included Capernaum, Tyre, and Sidon, Decapolis, and Caesarea Philippi, according to the Synoptic Gospels. It says, For he did not want to walk or minister in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. This all started back in John 5.18. So now you understand what it means by he, he walked here, but he didn't walk there. <laughs> okay? He was actually ministering. That's how they ministered. All right? They walked and they ministered. Verse 2, it says, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now, this was a beautiful feast. Let me just read some of the commentaries. John MacArthur explains that the Feast of Tabernacles was associated in the Old Testament with the ingathering of the harvest of grapes and olives, while grain was reaped between April and June. Morris says that it was a feast of thanksgiving primarily for the blessings of God in harvest. The feast occurred for seven days and, for, and was the most popular of the three principal feasts uh, or principal Jewish feasts, that's Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Those are the three main ones uh, that the Jews were, uh, usually would attend, okay? Uh, and were required to attend. 
It was particularly known for water drawing and, la and lamp lighting rites. Somebody says, who cares? No, that's important, okay? To which Jesus will make reference to in John 7.37, which we won't get to today, all right? Uh, when he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then in John 18, uh, 8 and verse 12, when he says, I am the light of the world. Are you getting this now? There was, a, there was a reason for him to go to this, but in God's time. To this, Arkent Hughes adds, During the feast, great throngs came to town. It was a colorful event. Shelters sprang up in the most unlikely places, on flat rooftops, down dark alleys, and even in the courts of the temple. And all the shelters followed the rabbinical building code. The walls were extra thin, so that light came through, and the roof had a show, uh, excuse me, had to show enough sky so the stars could be seen. Okay, so thin walls, and you needed a roof that you could see the stars. Okay, it was to cover. All right, thus reminding the Jews of how they, they had wandered in the wilderness and how God had provided for them. The feast was a wonderful festive time. People dressed their Sabbath best for the week. They called it the season for our gladness. So I want you to, I, I want to read all that because I want you to get a feel of what's going on. You know, we read the Feast of Tabernacles and we go, yeah, whatever. Okay, no, <laughs> this is a really joyous time. People were doing extraordinary things. It was beautiful. Everything was beautiful around you. There was a lot of rich visuals going on. Do you understand? If I had time, there was so much more that was brought out where the priest would sort of take the, the whole uh, you know, procession of people would follow him as he went and took water. And anyway, I didn't write that, so I'm not going to go through it. But okay, there were a lot of things going on that drew people's attention to God. But not all people understood what was happening. And you'll find that sometimes you get caught up in a ritual and you don't know what it was for. <laughs> this reminds me of a story. Uh, <laughs> I got to tell it to you. I just remembered it. Okay. Uh, this lady. This, this is how things happen, by the way. You know, the, it, it, it's a story about a mother and a daughter. Now, she's cooking and she, she gets this massive turkey out and she cuts it in half and sticks it in the oven. And the daughter's watching her. I mean, she does all these... She does all this amazing preparation and then cuts this bird in half and sticks it in the oven. And the daughter goes, uh, Mom, how come you cut it in half? And she goes, oh, because my mom did that. And she said, oh, okay. Uh, why? She goes, I don't know. Ask your, ask your, ask your grandmother. So she, so she called the grandmother up and the grandmother goes, oh, I did that because my mother did it. Now, it happened that the great-grandmother was alive. So she called up great-grandma. And she said, great-grandma, she said, how come mom cuts the turkey in half? She, she said that it's because her mom did it, and, and she did it because you did it. And the, the great-grandma laughs on the phone and goes, I don't know why you're doing it. I had to do it because the oven wasn't big enough. That's right. <laughs> you know? See, sometimes we do things and we don't know why we're doing it. We just did it because the other guy did it. <laughs> you know, and this is really what had happened 
by the time Jesus came, they were all into rituals. They had a, a vague understanding of what they were doing, but they didn't understand the true significance of what was happening. Everything in the Old Testament, every feast, everything that they did was actually talking about Jesus Christ in some way. Did you hear what I said? And so in not understanding that, they would not understand when he came and he spoke, this is what it was all about. Everything they did was pointing to this. And he was here, and they didn't even recognize him. All right, let's keep going. And so while all this is going on in Jerusalem, Jesus, by God's direction, remained in Galilee. With verses 3 through 5 going on to say that his brothers, now we know that to be James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude, uh, that's in Matthew 13, 55, therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea. And your disciples also, oh, excuse me, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Oh, There's attitude in here, okay? Yeah. Verse 4. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be openly, uh, to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. You know, we can do things as unto God and people can misunderstand what's actually going on. They're seeing Jesus, all the miracles he did, as him showing off. They had this kind of mindset because verse 5 says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Let me just read some of these things. Here we see that all of Jesus' brothers, none of whom were believers at this time, urging him and even trying to provoke him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles at Jerusalem. This is a classic case of good versus God, okay? Even though it would pose a risk to his life. See, sometimes a good thing isn't a God thing. It's a good thing to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. It wasn't God's timing. Yeah. Boy, you know, we, you would have... If, <laughs> if you did this, somebody would say, Oh, you're not spiritual. You're just making excuses. Because, you know, th th God is happening over there. Why aren't you over there? But can I say this to you? Please be spirit-led in everything you do. I don't care whether God's meant to be there or not. It doesn't matter. God's timing is crucial in everything that you do. Make sure you don't take a step without checking with God first. Are you all with me now? You know, that doesn't mean you can't go to the store and eat and whatever. I'm just talking about those important things in your life. And especially if you get a scratching on the inside. I don't know how else to put it. You know, when you kind of want to do something and it doesn't feel quite right. And you're thinking, oh, I don't know. Everybody's going, yeah, but there's nothing wrong. Blah, blah, blah. I should come. And you're going, mm. How many people have done that and not got on the plane that crashed? Didn't get in the car that got, was in an accident? Wasn't in the building when those two planes crashed into them? Because they woke up that morning and said, something is off. You don't hear any of this on the news. All right. Perhaps they heard, <laughs> I'm being nice to them. Perhaps they heard about his disciples, except the 12, abandoning him. And therefore, this would be a good time for him to go do something spectacular. You know, perhaps a, a you know, public display of miracles or something. Go do something, all right? And so that he might not only win back some of the disciples uh, that he lost, but also restore the confidence in some of his own disciples. I mean, you know, they, it's six months. Everybody's run, walked off from him. You know, the popularity is gone. You know what I'm trying to say? And suddenly it's us and Jesus. 
You know, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. It started with us and Jesus. Now this will be us, Jesus, and our multitude. How many people look at that and say, you know, success is, are we growing? Is it getting bigger? It shouldn't be getting smaller. Something is wrong. Are you all here? You know, it's as God leads, as God wills. If you're big in the will of God, hallelujah. If you're big out of the will of God, <laughs> I don't want to say. Okay, moving on. But their comments were insincere. Because verse 5 tells us again they really didn't believe in him. William MacDonald writes, It must have been especially bitter for the Lord Jesus to have his own brothers doubt his words and his works. Yet how often... It is that those who are faithful to God find their bitterest, uh, bitterest opposition from those who are nearest and dearest to them. Amen. Hmm. Continuing on to verse 6. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not come yet, or not yet come, but your time is always ready. Now, to give us some insight into what Jesus actually says here, when he says, My time has not come, R. Kent Hughes explains that the word Jesus used for time is this word, uh, I think it's pronounced uh, kateros, I'm not sure, okay? Uh, which carries the idea of opportunity, meaning that our Lord meant that the opportune time had not yet come, though that time did come shortly afterward, according to verse 10, okay? He does go. But this, see, so when, he's, when he says, my time has not yet come, he isn't talking about I'm not going to die yet or anything. He's saying this isn't the opportune time. He was waiting on God for the right time before he went. Are you hearing this? Amen? And with regard to the phrase, but your time <laughs> is always ready, literally it says for, your, uh, for you, any time is right. J. Ramsey Michael says that because the brothers' times are not in God's hands but their own, it makes no difference whether they go to the festival or stay at home. But for Jesus, the time must be right because his life and his plans are at God's direction. One more quote. D.A. Carson goes as far as to say, what they, the Lord's brothers, did what was utterly without significance as far as God was concerned. I want to say that because I want to talk to you about something. When we take our own life into our own hands, when we decide how we're going to live our life, I did it my way to God, you are just utterly insignificant. You may think you're something great, but to God, <laughs> you're going your own way. Like somebody once said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> you know, okay. See, we need to be careful, and I pray that everybody in this church listens to God. Every idea that you get is coming from God. Everything that you pursue is because God is leading you by the Spirit. So please don't sit there and sweat. Okay, I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about those people. You know, sometimes you run up against those people. Where they've got their whole life planned out and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And, you know, and they are not praying. They're not seeking God in any of those things. They're just deciding this is what we want to do. 
James has something to say about that when he said, don't say this day I'll do this and that day I'll do that. He said, if the Lord wills, I will do this and I will do that. In other words, he's saying, check the will of God before you go make your plans. So many people want to make their plans and ask God to bless it. As somebody once said, go to God, get the plan, it's already blessed. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so where was I? Right, verse 7. <laughs> he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify of, uh, of it that its works are evil. Oh boy. So Jesus says here that the world cannot hate his brothers because they belong to the world. They took sides with the world against him. Their whole lives were in harmony with the world. You know, I want to make all these statements because I want to make sure we don't do any of this stuff. That we never take sides with the world against God at any time, even without realizing it. How would I do that? Well, the world says, well, there's no point in giving because, you know, they just rob you and steal all your money and blah, blah, blah. Hello, did I pull a file? And we go, you're right, you're right, you're right. See, I saved up all my money and I did this. It's a house of cards. Because Jesus said, there is an enemy, there is a thief. It's, it's out to steal, kill and destroy. And if your stuff isn't under God's protection, see you later, sayonara, bye-bye. <laughs> There's no guarantees, man. I mean, you can do all of this stuff. Do you know the people that have the most outside of God are the most afraid because somebody will come and take it away from them? Because they did it their way to get it? Those that are in Christ that have received finances or whatever, they don't care. You know, the same God that got it to them before, somebody come and steal it, he'll get it back to us. And we can ask for seven times. We get an interest, you know, we get interest on it. Because if we identify the devil, then he has to pay back sevenfold. Are you all with me? So, you know, you almost want somebody... To, no, you don't. But, you know, you know, coming or going, the devil should pay. If he attacks you ever, and you're in the will of God, then you need to understand that you are in a, in a place of power. You're in a place of authority. You're in a place where blessing abounds. Do you know why? Because God wants you to be blessed, to be a blessing. And if the devil comes and steals stuff from you, what has he done? He has stolen something that God has blessed you with that perhaps didn't belong to you, that belonged to somebody else that you were going to bless them with, but the devil has stolen it. Now what he has, he has done is taken something away from you and also the person you were going, going to give it to, sevenfold is coming back. Are you all with me? See, we really need to see things in that light because if we look at things as ours, then something was taken from us. But if we look at things as God's, then something was taken from God. <laughs> you, go, you go to God and say, God, they stole from you. What are you going to do about it? Woo, he got angels and all kind of stuff going up there. You then feel sorry for the guy. All right. How did I get onto that? Anyway. Oh, yeah, hating the world. Yes, okay. <laughs> so I said again. You know, be careful who you take sides with. Make sure your, your life isn't in harmony with the world. Amen? Yeah. And of course, the world would love its own. And this will be brought out again 
in John chapter 15, verse 19, where he says, if you, are, if you are of the world, the world would love its own. In his, uh, in his commentary, D.A. Carson, Carson writes, their alignment with the world means that they know nothing of God's agenda. I really like this. Listen carefully, okay? He says again, their alignment with the world means that they know nothing of God's agenda. You can't be aligned with the world and receive instruction from God. You either receive instruction from God and follow His plan, which means you get out of line, alignment, yeah, out of alignment with the world, and the world will look at you funny, but it's okay, <laughs> right? Uh, can, I, can I just, a uh, little footnote here, don't be weird for the sake of being weird. I know some people, they just want to be weird because they're spiritual. No, you're just weird. And don't tell them you're coming here, please. Because we don't want to get it. No, we don't. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. Don't do that stuff. I, I know people that would just do that because they were being spiritual. Because, bless God, they're, not, they're in this world, but they're not of this world. Boy, yeah, you're not. You're right out there somewhere. I'm in Pluto or something. You know, <laughs> you, left, you done left the planet, dude. There is a difference. There is a difference between you walking, you know, you walking down the aisles of a supermarket and praying quietly under your breath where nobody can hear you, perhaps in the spirit or English, whatever, you're just chatting to the Lord. And you screaming at the top of your voice in tongues in the middle of a supermarket. They'll put you in a little rubber room. Because that's where you belong, you nuts. <laughs> but I was being spiritual. No, you're being stupid. Paul says they don't understand that stuff. In fact, he says when people come to church, don't go up there and yell all this stuff out and confuse them all unless somebody can interpret the thing. Otherwise, shut up. Can I get an amen? You know, he wasn't dumb either. And he said, I speak in tongues more than you all. So he could do it, drop of a hat, anywhere he wanted. But he wasn't stupid. Amen? <sighs> okay, so back to this. Dear Carson says again, their alignment with the world means that they know nothing of God's agenda. They do not listen to his word. Do not recognize when it comes and cannot perceive the word incarnate before them. They are divorced from God's divine appointments. And so, any time will do. Doesn't matter. Can I say, your life matters. Amen? That's why you need, that's why, you know, you pray and you check with God on things. Because your life matters. And God wants to be involved in it. And God wants to keep you from disaster. And bring you to blessing. But he can only do that while you are listening to him. And follow his will for your life. Amen. And if ever you run into any kind of quote unquote difficulty. Look beyond yourself and ask whether you're there to help someone. Did you hear what I just said? If you are praying and in the will of God. And you know you, you run into something that you think. Ugh, why? Well maybe you're the one equipped to deal with this. Maybe somebody's been praying and saying. God please send somebody to fix this. You know, to, be, to have to fix something means there's something wrong. Which means you have to step into something wrong to fix the thing. Now, we don't fix people. 
But we can fix circumstances and situations. We can pray against demons. We can pray against all of those things. Amen? We can do something about it. In contrast to them, again, Jesus is in in a completely different position. Him, the world, does hate. With Leon Morris saying, Jesus marks himself off from the world by his continuous testimony that the world's deeds are evil. The evildoer does not care to have his or her sin rebuked. And the hatred of which Jesus speaks is the inevitable result. You know, the world does not like to be shown up for what it's doing wrong. It gets defensive, it gets mad, because it doesn't need a savior. It can save itself, it wants to do it its way. It wants to believe what it wants to believe. And so anything that comes against that annoys it. It wants to say, look at the amazing art that we came up with. Look at the amazing buildings we built. We didn't need God. This Tower of Babel was... (laughs) Hello, hello. Okay, (laughs) all right. You know, this is our work. God goes, nice work. Let's confuse him. (laughs) What What did you say? I don't know what he just said. And he confused them with their language. Hence was born the languages. That didn't evolve. <laughs> anyway. All right, so, where was I? Where was I? Okay. <laughs> Verse 8. He says, You go up to this feast. I am not yet. Notice the words not yet. He, he didn't say, I'm not going. He said, I'm not yet going up to this feast. For my time has not yet fully come. Remember again, he's talking about this isn't an opportune time for me yet. Okay? He didn't say my time hasn't come like I'm being all religious. He's going, no, no, no. Something is up. Remember, they're trying to kill him. He needs to be careful how he walks now. Okay? All right. So in other words, Jesus would be going to the feast, just not yet. But his brothers could go anytime they wanted. Their decision was, again, without significance. William MacDonald writes, There was something very sad about Jesus saying to his brothers, You go up to this feast. They pretended to be religious men. They were going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, yet the Christ of God, that's the anointed of God, was standing in their midst, and they had no real love for him. Man loves religious rituals. Because he can observe them without any real heart interest. Please get this. But bring him face to face with the person of Christ and he is ill at ease. (laughs) Okay? See, people love religion. They like to, you know, I I was there. I did the thing. I swung the yo, you know, in in the denominational church. I won't say which one. You know, the the, the little, uh, what do you call it? The thing that has smoke coming through it. Yeah, one of those smoke deals, you know, in the little bucket. And you you swing it. You wear the big robe. You hope to God it doesn't catch on fire. And anyway, no, I did. Because this thing is delighted, you know. And so you, you, you go there and you swing the little thing and you do your little ritual. And was I honoring God? I don't know. I was trying to swing it right. I was trying not to drop any of it on the floor. I had, God was the last thing on my mind. I had to make sure that I impressed the priest. Get what I'm saying here, please. 
It was more about saying all the right things, doing all the right things, so the priest would smile at me and go, you did good. You swung it at the right angle. You didn't hit anybody in the face. <laughs> you know, we didn't get hit with a lawsuit. You did good. There was no Jesus in any of that. So why was I doing it? All the people were going, oh, get that smoke away from me. They weren't thinking about Jesus. You're here. And so we get caught up in all of these things. They're all rituals. They make you kind of feel good that you're doing something, quote unquote, religious. And in that, there's kind of like a, a false safety that as long as you do these things and light that candle and do this little thing over here, then you're good, you're good, you're good. And then when you die, they'll go, oh, you lit that candle and you did this thing and you swung that thing really good. You're in. Is not what is going to happen. The person that we serve is going to say, what did you do with the life I gave you? And how often did you speak to me? You know, I don't remember you very often. A few times when things went wrong and you came in screaming. I can't even recognize you normally talking to me. All I ever hear is, oh my God, I need help. Okay, <laughs> he's back, <laughs> you know. Are you all with me? All right. It goes on to say, verses 9 and 10. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also, watch now, after they'd left, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret, what we would call incognito. Okay? <laughs> All right. In other words, after his brothers had gone to Jerusalem, the Lord made a quiet trip there himself. All right? And he goes and say in verse 11, Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? Now, they, you know, they put it so politely over here. The Jews sought him and said, Where is he? Is not what's going on. In his commentary, Arkent Hughes explains, The verb tenses in this verse are continuous. The Jewish leader, or leaders, his enemies, were continually asking, Where is he? Not because they wanted to hear his teachings, but because they wanted to put him to death. Even the multitudes felt the tension. Isn't that something? I mean, this is a time of joyous occasion. This is a time of celebration. And what are the Jews doing? What they normally do, and I, not all the Jews, okay? Because we're going to find out that if the, the people that were scared in this group were also Jews. So these Jews were afraid of this religious hierarchy that wanted to kill him. Are you all with me? So they're all afraid. So th th that's why I said to you, whenever John uses the word the Jews, he's talking about those Jews that were hostile towards Jesus. Are you all with me? Okay, because I said the other Gospels don't do that. Only him. So when he, when he uses that phrase, it means specifically these particular Jews. Okay, so we need to really get that. So I want you to see, I, you know, I really need you to see something here because this happens so often that, you know, we're trying to worship God and we're trying to do all the right things. We're trying to, you know, get in contact with God and, we, you know, pray and 
praise and worship. And, you know, when you get that sort of hierarchy, which sort of walks around with their you know, chest puffed out and go, well, you know, this isn't done in the right manner. And, you know, that person was singing too loud. Or, you know, this is not, shouldn't be happening. Put your hand down. What is going on with you? You, you know what I'm trying to say? And then they stifle the Holy Spirit. And they just get all over it. They, their religion is getting in the way of your relationship. And that's exactly what is going on here. These people's religion, these people who should have had the closest relationship with God were the furthest from God. How do you know that? Because <laughs> Jesus is going to say, in the, I believe it's in this very book, in John chapter 8, verse 44, you are, are of your father, the devil. Boy, I don't know how further you can get than that. Do you, know, do you know why? Because of this sort of stuff. Because they're carrying on. Because they're doing this sort of thing. Because they won't let people enjoy. They're going and say, have you seen Jesus? I'm I was praising God. What? Huh? Why aren't you praising God? What is this obsession that you have? What is the problem? Are you not casting your care on God? I'm trying to hear. You're giving me one. <laughs> Hello? You know what I'm trying to say? You know, religion often does that. It puts more problems on you than gives you answers. So we need to be really careful, family, that we don't become religious. Amen? That we don't become like this. You know how seniority in the kingdom is shown? By your relationship with God and how deep it is. Not because you know how to do this right and polish that and swing that right and, you know, get that creed correct and blah, 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 blah. It's about this and about God. It's when you open your mouth and start praying and the whole room, you know, those that were doing prayer will get this. But the whole room just charges up with the presence of God. You just open your mouth and it begins. Are you all with me? That's when everybody goes, whoa, that's a saint of God. Amen. That's true holiness. That is true righteousness. That is what James calls pure religion. Not this messed up one. Amen. I have run out of time, haven't I? I'm there? Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Uh, let me just, let me get to verse 13 and we'll stop there. Okay, That's, oh, well, maybe. Let's see how, how quickly I can get through it. I will try to behave myself. Okay, verse 12. <laughs> it says, and there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said no. On the contrary, he deceives the people. William MacDonald puts it so well when he says, it is clear that the presence of the Lord was creating quite a stir among the people. More and more, the miracles which he performed were compelling men to make up their minds as to who he really was. There was an undercurrent of conversation at the feast as to whether he was genuine or a false prophet. Some said he is good. Others said no, he deceives the people. Verse 13 says, however, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Isn't that a sad statement? Let me read some commentaries. We'll finish there. Let me just see where I turn. Yeah, we'll finish there. In his commentary, William Hendrickson writes, The contrasting opinions were uttered in whispers, 
As long as the Sanhedrin had not yet pronounced an official verdict, no one dared to speak out openly. No one dared to stick out his neck. <laughs> stick his neck out. Saying the wrong word in public might mean expulsion from the synagogue. We didn't want that. All right. Very powerful was the dreaded hierarchical machine in Jerusalem. It was fast becoming a curse for the religious life of Israel. I thought that was really interesting, the way that was put. Amen? To this, Leon Morris adds, this represents the high point of hostility so far reached. The, op the opposition is rising. Since the people who were afraid were themselves Jews, it is clear that John's, the Jews, does not refer to the whole nation. It signifies the leaders hostile to Jesus. Amen? So nobody was safe in this situation. And it's really sad how religion was the biggest problem Jesus was having. And it wasn't a foreign religion. He didn't say a bunch of Buddhists were after him. Or little Hare Krishnas. <laughs> okay? Now, you know, I just want to make a point here. It wasn't any other religion. Watch now. I really want you to see something here. What the devil wants is to take what God instituted and twist it. Take what he did, what he meant for the good of man, and turn it and curse man with it. Jesus is going to have to say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Everything you're doing is backwards. You've taken something that I, I gave to bless you and turned it around to, for it to become a curse now in your life. Remember, all of this is why. Because he, we're going to find out later on he's going to say this thing. is because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. That's where it all began. Remember the man at the pool of Bethesda? He, 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 because he was healed, this started. Because it was the Sabbath day. Wow. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to stop otherwise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, we, just th we thank you, Lord, that you bring freedom. We thank you. In fact, we ask you, Lord, to keep us far from this kind of religious thinking, this kind of bondage. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us so that we could live a life that is not only free, but a life that is forgiving and a life that looks to love, care for people. Hallelujah. A life that is not just interested in itself, but because you, look, you do such a beautiful job of looking after us, that can, we can look outward and see how we can help others. Hallelujah. And we just thank you, Father. I thank you for each and every individual, both here and online, Lord, that you continue to bring revelation into their life, that if they've been in bondage, that they break out of that now in the name of Jesus. And they find this freedom that Jesus came to give us. And that they live their life in a way that pleases you and blesses them. And as it does, God, they can be a blessing 
to everyone around them. We thank you for this word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is ministering it to our hearts. And I thank you for all the revelation each person is getting that is individual and unique to them. In Jesus' name, amen.